0: Chapter 20 The Professor and the Aztec Of the Lost City This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lost City by Joseph E. Badger, Jr. Chapter 20 The Professor and the Aztec Fortunately for all concerned, there proved to be no serious difficulty attached to that same holding. So far as outward semblance went, Ixtli was very well content with both present quarters and present companionship. He likewise enjoyed the supper that, aided by a small fire kindled in a depression so low that the light could by no means attract any unfriendly eye, Bruno prepared for them all and just prior to taking his first taste, the young warrior bowed his head to murmur a few sentences which, past all doubt, had first come to his mind through the wonderful victo, a simple little blessing which certainly did not add to the dislike or uneasiness with which the brothers regarded their guest. "'He's white, even if he is red,' confidentially declared Waldo, at his first opportunity more danger of our spoiling him than he's doing us dirt. And that's an honest fact for a quarter, old man." Bruno felt pretty much the same, yet his added years gave him a greater discretion, and in spite of that growing liking he kept a fairly keen watch and ward over the Aztec. After supper they came further questioning and answers, Waldo as a rule playing inquisitor, eager to learn more anent the strange existence which these people must live, so completely hemmed in from all the rest of the world, as they surely were in yonder valley. Without at all betraying the exile, Gillespie spoke of the lake and its mighty whirlpool, then learned that the Indians really made semi-annual trips, thither for the purpose of laying in a supply of dried fish for the winter's consumption. As the night waned, preparations were made for sleeping, although it was agreed between the brothers that one or the other should stand guard in regular order. "'Not that I really believe the fellow would play us dirt, even with every chance laid open,' Waldo admitted. "'Still, it's what Uncle Phaeton would advise, and we can't well do less than follow his will, Bruno.' "'Since we broke it so completely by tackling the grizzly,' with a brief laugh, that's all right too of course we'd ought to have skulked away like a couple of egg-sucking curs but we didn't and i'm mightily glad of it too for Ixtly, what a name that is to go to bed with every night though for is just about as white as they make em nowadays you hear me blow up a zoo and so the long night wore its length along the brothers taking turns at keeping watch and ward but the aztecs slumbering peacefully through all looking the least dangerous of all possible captives and after this light even the cautious Bruno began to regard him ere the first stroke of coming dawn could be seen above the eastern hills. Not being positive just where the airship would put in an appearance, since Professor Featherwood had, perforce, left that question open, to be decided by circumstances over which he might have no control, each guard in turn devoted considerable attention to the upper regions, hoping to glimpse the aerostat, and holding matches in readiness— to raise a flare by way of a lighting signal, but it was not until the early dawn that Bruno caught sight of the airship just skimming the treetops, the better to escape observation by any Indian lookout. After that the rest came easily enough. A couple of blazing matches held aloft proved sufficient cue to the professor, and soon thereafter the flying machine was safely brought to land, so gently that the slumbers of the young Aztec were undisturbed. Bruno gave a hasty word of warning and explanation combined, even before he extended a welcoming hand towards Mr. Edgecombe, who certainly appeared all the better for his encounter with people of his own race. Professor Featherwood took a keen, eager look at the slumbering redskin, then drew silently back to whisper in Bruno's ear, "'Guard well your tongue, lad!' I have told him nothing as yet, and we must consult together before breaking the news, for now we have had no rest, so I believe we would better lie down for an hour or two. Mr. Edgecombe appeared to be perfectly willing to do this, and soon the wearied men were wrapped in blankets and sleeping peacefully. Long before their lids unclosed, Bruno had an appetizing meal in readiness, although the others had broken fast long before, and Ixtli, his hands tightly clasped behind his back as a child is wont to resist temptation was inspecting the airship in awed silence taking advantage of this preoccupation bruno quickly yet clearly explained to his uncle all that had happened showing that by playing a more prudent part the young warrior must inevitably have perished Then, making sure Cooper Edgecombe was not near enough to catch his words, Bruno told in brief the information gleaned from Ixtley concerning the children of the son, whom he and Waldo more than suspected must be the long-lost wife and daughter of the exiled aeronaut. As might have been expected, Professor Featherwit was deeply stirred by all this, fidgeting nervously while keeping alert ears, with difficulty smothering the ejaculations which fought for exit through his lips." After satisfying his craving for food, the professor led the young Aztec apart from the rest of the party, speaking kindly and sympathetically, until he had won a fair share of liking for his own, then broaching the subject of the son-children. After this, it was by no means a difficult matter to get at the seat of trouble, and little by little Featherwood satisfied himself that Ixtli would do all, dare all, for the sake of benefiting the woman and maiden who had treated him so kindly. At a covert sign from the professor, Bruno came to join in the talk, and his sympathy made the young Aztec even more communicative, and Ixtli spoke more at length concerning Tlacopa, the papa and another enemy whom the children of the sun had nearly equal cause to fear, one Huatzin, or Prince Hua, chiefest among the mighty warriors of the Aztecan clans. This evil prince had for years past sought victor for his bride, while his son, Iosetl, tried in vain to win the hard smiles of the fair Glady, Victo's daughter and, through revenge for having their suit frowned upon, these wicked knaves had joined hands with the priest in trying to drag the sun-children down from their lofty pedestal. It did not take long questioning, or shrewd, to convince the professor that in Ixtli they could count upon a true and daring supporter in case they should conclude to interfere in behalf of his patroness and teacher, adored Victo. The professor led the way over to the airship, there producing the clothing and arms once worn by another Aztec warrior, which he had carefully stowed away in the locker, loath to lose sight of such valuable relics, truly unique as he assured himself at the moment. Bruno gave a little exclamation at sight of the articles, then in eager tones he made known the daring idea which then flashed across his busy brain— "'We ought to make sure before taking action, Uncle Phaeton. "'Then why not let me don these clothes and steal down into the valley, "'under cover of darkness, to see the ladies, and—' "'No, no, my lad!' quickly interrupted the professor, "'gripping an arm as though fearful of an instant runaway. "'That would be too risky. "'That would be almost suicidal. "'And no use talking.' With an obstinate shake of his head, as Bruno attempted to edge in an expostulation, "'I will never give my consent. "'Never!' "'Or hardly ever,' supplied Waldo, coming that way like one who feels the proprieties have been more than sufficiently outraged. "'Give some other person a chance to wag his chin a bit, can't ye, gentlemen? Not that I care to chatter merely for sake of hearing my own voice, but eh?' "'We were considering whether or no t'would be advisable to take a walk over to the observatory,' coolly explained the professor. "'Of course, if you would rather remain here to watch the aerostat.' "'Let Bruno do that, uncle. He grew thoroughly disgusted with what he saw over yonder yesterday,' placidly observed the youngster. "'Waldo, you villain! Well, didn't you vow and declare that you could recognize grace and beauty, and all other varieties of attractiveness, only in—dark brunettes, old man?' Professor Featherwit hastily interposed, lest words be let fall, through which Mr. Edgecombe might catch a premature idea of the possible surprise held in store and shortly afterwards the start was made for the snug covert from whence the lost city had been viewed on prior occasions. Naturally their route led them directly past the scene of the bear fight, where the huge carcass lay as yet undisturbed, and calling forth sundry words of wonder and even admiration through its very ponderosity and now harmless ferocity. Professor Featherwood deemed it his duty to gravely reprove his wards for their rash conduct— yet something in his twinkling eyes and in the kindly touch of his bony hand told a far different tale. His anger took the shape of pride and of heart-love. In due course of time the lookout was won, and without delay the savant turned his field-glass upon the temple, which appeared to appertain to the so-called sun-children, but not a little to his chagrin the azotea was utterly devoid of human life but that disappointment was of brief existence for almost as though his action was the signal for which they had been waiting mother and daughter came slowly into view arm in arm clad in robes of snowy white with their luxuriant locks flowing loose as upon former occasions both lads three of them, to be more exact, gave low exclamations, of eager interest as those shapes came in sight, while even Cooper Edgecombe gazed with growing interest upon the scene, wholly unsuspecting though he was as yet. A slight nod from the professor warned the brothers to stand ready in case of need, then he offered the exile a glass, begging him to inspect yonder fair women upon the Teokalili. The glass was levelled and held firmly for a half minute, then the exile gave a choking cry, gasping ere he fell as one smitten by death. "'Merciful heavens! My wife! My child!' End of chapter 20